I want to encourage you to do something here. Have you brought your Bibles? Hopefully you have. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand while the ushers will come around and give you a Bible. Hopefully you've got your Bible wherever you are at home. And uh, go ahead and get your Bible in your hand because we're going to do some sword drills, if you will. Today is the 17th, and so that's why everybody's talking about St. Patrick, who was actually a missionary uh, to Ireland. And one of the neat things he did was there were Druid chiefs, pagan chiefs, who could not understand the concept of the Trinity. And Patrick used the clover to show Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? And what that has to do with green beer, I do not know. <laughs> Man's way to corrupt things, right? So today's the 17th, March 17th. And since it's a holiday, you kind of know the number. Let's turn, before we go to our song, let's go to Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. It's right after Psalms, so we'll be right, right there. So it says Psalms and Proverbs in the Old Testament. And we're going to go to Proverbs uh, 17. And I want to encourage you, and we're not going to do it now, tonight, right here, but I want to encourage you, hopefully some of you have already read Proverbs 17 as the proverb for the day. On the 17th of March, you read the 17th chapter of Proverbs. On the 18th of March, you read the 18th chapter, and so forth and so on. So there's a lot of wisdom in these proverbs, and a whole, it's amazing uh, how much wisdom is in there. How much grace and mercy is in there as well. I want to let's bring out a couple of verses here. Uh, Proverbs seventeen verse nine says, he who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. Now mentions friends again in verse 17. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. That goes completely against the cancel culture who did out one little thing in the past and all of a sudden you're, you're cut off from all giftings. And, uh, if you're a historical figure, it doesn't matter. If you did something wrong somewhere in your life, that's, that's it. Your contribution is no longer noted. So... I want to talk for just a moment before we get to our our psalm about how we came to have 
a Bible sitting on our lap and being able to read it. Because, you know, about 500 years ago or so, we would all be, in Europe, we'd all be executed for having a Bible. Because nobody but the Catholic Church and the priests could have Bibles. And there was a season where they locked them to the pulpit. Didn't want anybody taking one home. (laughs) It was in Latin. And the only people who spoke Latin, the Bible, in 500 AD, it was in like 100 different languages. In 600 AD, it was being printed in one, Latin. And then Latin became more and more of a dead language, and only people in... uh, upper education studied Latin and priest and what happened it's great for us to understand and know is that they slowly decided that the Pope was over the Bible and if the Pope said it was so it didn't really matter what the Bible said and trouble started Boy, did trouble start. And then they had the divine rights of kings, which is to say uh, the kings themselves were kind of go-betweens between the people and God. We talk about Luther. We'll mention him in just a, a moment. And this is important stuff for us to know. It really is. Because, you know, just a couple of of names. Martin Luther, most people have heard, he was a big part of the Reformation. But before him was a man, uh, Wycliffe, called the Morning Star of the Reformation. And he went through. And by this time, the Catholic Church was saying, uh, you could be forgiven by doing uh, communion. You could be forgiven... uh, by indulgences, which is when you gave cash money and you were you received forgiveness. And they literally would give you a piece of paper saying you've been forgiven of this that you could carry around. And there's documents from back then that are a menu. If you stole, it was this much. If you beat someone up, it was this much. If you killed them, it was this much. And, you know, what career criminals did, of course, is they went out and did crimes and just figured they'd give a cut to the church and everything was great. Where is that in the Bible? It's not. But nobody was reading the Bible. Can you imagine seeing a system like that And then if you want to be forgiven, you go and meet with a human person and confess your sins to him, a priest, and he absolves you or pronounces you forgiven. I'm not 
just, I'm not just beating up the Catholic Church. That's just what happened in, in history. And before you say, well, it's just another denomination, you really need to kind of look around the world and see, like in South America, one of the things that our precious brother in Lima uh, deals with is once a year, uh, Mary goes on tour in Peru. And they care, you know, men carry her. And when they carry her into a village, everybody falls on their face in worship. That's not Bible. Well, actually it is. It says don't do that. So imagine with this setting, Wycliffe starts reading the Bible and starts reading things like whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so he started teaching other people and started encouraging pastors to preach from the Word of God, which was just, you know, an incredible new concept. They, they didn't martyr Wycliffe. They didn't really realize the damage he had done until after he was gone. And then they got so mad at him, they dug up his bones and burned his bones. And threw him in the river. Now, he was the predecessor of Luther. And you know, Luther started out as a Catholic priest. But again, the, the whole indulgences thing. Just couldn't. Couldn't stomach it. And they were, about that time, they were building St. Peter's, the church you see now in Rome. And they came up with a little slogan, whenever you hear a um, coin in the cup ring, a soul from purgatory springs. And they told people they could uh, get their previously dead relatives out of purgatory if they gave money. It was just the height of hypocrisy and and when one ruler in Europe when the ruler of a country said he was Catholic that whole country was Catholic so when several kings said well we are taking part of this reformation several did and with people reading the Bible Understand, the King James Bible came out in 1611. 1605, we settled Jamestown. 1620, Plymouth Rock with the Mayflower Compact. So everything was right there, and then everybody's reading and learning the Bible and, you know, understanding how we are saved and how to walk with the Lord. And and that's why when, uh, for a season... The states in the United States, if the governor of, say, North Carolina was, well, that's a bad example because we had freedoms. Let's say uh, in Virginia, if the governor was Presbyterian, everybody in the state was Presbyterian. And if you wanted to be in the government, you had to be Presbyterian. That was for a short season. Williamsburg does a great job at, at teaching some of this. But we came to the system where each person 
got to choose where they went to church. And that had really never happened before. As amazing as that sounds. A church we support in Montebello, uh, Italy, is the first Protestant church, or you know, Luther protested, and so the churches that you know are non-Catholic are referred to as Protestant churches, Protestant churches, because they protested with Luther. I was so proud of learning words when I was little, and another family was over, and we were talking about religious and spiritual things. Somebody asked, well, what are y'all? I hollered out, we're prostitutes. <laughs> they were like, no, no, that's not the right. It's Protestants, Protestants. Oh, sorry, sorry. Never forgot that one again. So that actually led to the individuals here having a vote. And that our Declaration of Independence and Bill of Rights puts in there that our rights are not from the king. They're not from the Pope. They're from God himself. We are endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. What does that mean? The state doesn't own you. The state can't tell you what to do. State is not supposed to be able to tell you whether you go to church or not. <laughs> so, people were willing to die to say, we need to be able to read this book for ourselves. So us carving out a few minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, an hour, to get into the Word. Or tomorrow night, when the sun goes down, taking the day, a Shabbat, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Friday night, eat with your family. Take some time, worship the Lord. Watch a Christian flick with your family. Rest. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here's the first life lesson going into tonight. We're about to jump into the song. Is this no man's decrees are over the Bible, since the Bible is God's word and stands supreme and alone. Say that again. No man's decrees are over the Bible, since the Bible is God's word and stands supreme and alone. So let's go to, uh, turn with me to Psalm 66. That's our psalm for tonight. We're also going to, as we talk about it, we'll look at it, we're going to be talking about uh, prophecy, the psalm, and also a little bit of what we just spoke about. By the way, Wycliffe was the one that came up with the separation of church and state. And the reason he wanted that is after reading the Bible he thought that the Pope was not between God and man that we could go straight to God and really begin to doubt the 
the whole system, if you will, the whole Catholic system. And uh, kings shouldn't pick people in the church, and people in the church shouldn't pick kings. And so that was the beginning of the end of the Pope being the kingmaker, which was a good thing. Another night I'll talk about Zinzendorf, who is very, very relevant for us because of Winston Salem was a uh, Moravian settlement. And that has to do with the Reformation as well. So those are some interesting things you can, you know, you should read about on your own, look into and, and know. And then when you're speaking to somebody, you can talk from a base of knowledge about some of these things. And, um, and I tell you what, I, I just love, I've loved it since a little kid, um, going over uh, here in Winston to the Old Salem. Just a beautiful place and it's... Um, I mean, it was a Christian group of, of people that settled there. And it was the, the first fire station in the nation. They've got a little thing out there that tells them about neat, neat, neat stuff. And that's our heritage. So let's look at Psalm 66. And looking at our Psalms. And again, I encourage you to... Um, have a reading plan aside from the teachings on Thursday and Sunday. I'm praying about doing little internet things uh, and doing internet things between Thursday and Sunday and probably going to have some people uh, helping with that um, so that you guys can you know, stay fed every day and you know, you should, it'll encourage you to be in the Word and be praying, of course. And, uh, and we'll make certain applications, certain prophetic stuff and whatnot. So we're looking at Psalm 66. It's to the chief musician, a song. A psalm. It says, make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, How awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Selah. That's all. That's all. If you want to stand up, I'm going to ask you to repeat part of this. If you need to stay seated, stay seated. But stand up and let's. It says, "Say to God." Let's say to God. Come on, stand up, man. It's okay. Say to God, and let's read this part, and let's all um, let's all say to Him, say to God, what it says to say here. Let's walk the scripture out. Amen. So I know we have different versions, and might be, um, you know. A little different on some words. It's okay. Just read the version you have, and we're going to start with "Awesome are your How awesome are your works?" Okay. So say to God, "How awesome are your works? Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name." Mm. Now, some of you didn't quite jump on the bandwagon, so we're going to 
Try that again. And yes, do that with us wherever you are. Because you're worshiping the, the Lord. You're seeing these things. And it says, say to God. So we're going to say to God, how awesome are your works through the greatness of your power. Your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. That's good stuff, isn't it? All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. Fort Lauderdale has a, uh, a worship album from years ago. And they put one of those you know, vocoders on there. It sounds like a kind of a robot, you know. And it is so cool. Great song. Verse 5. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Say that. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. Look at verse 8. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. I'm going to read through and come back to that. Who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved to slip. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us. The silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire, through water, but you brought us out to abundance, to rich fulfillment. When it reads, you've caused men to ride over our heads when an army was finishing the battle with their horses and chariots they would make the enemy to lie down and then they would ride their horses and chariots over them that's what it means by you have caused men to ride over our heads we went through fire and through water but you brought us out to abundance verse 13 I will go into your house with burnt offerings I will pay you my vows. Talk about that when we come back. Which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats, Selah. Come in here, all of you who fear God. And I will declare what he has done for my soul. I want to. I want to do something here. I've been kind of wanting to do, to find a space to do this, and I want you to do this with us at home as well. 
want you to take about 30 seconds. And if, if somebody's beside you, you can speak to them. And then we'll give you time to speak back. If you're seated by, seated by yourself, you can just act like somebody's there and speak as if someone's there. Uh, or you can go find somebody to tell your God story. But t- take 30 seconds and tell your God story and then get to the gospel in 30 seconds. And so um, you know, maybe you were lonely, maybe you were whatever, and, and you were obviously forgiveness is a main issue and loneliness because God said he'll never leave us. He's always going to be with us. Keeps his eye on us like I ask, well, does, you know, is he trying to keep an eye on us because he thinks we're going to mess up? No, he loves us so much he can't take his eyes off of us. So take 30 seconds and tell your God story to somebody you're sitting with. It's probably about 30 seconds. So now, now I'll switch and let the person that was listening now talk until their first. I'm sorry, my watch died. We're all in trouble now. Praise the Lord. So what we were doing was literally Psalms 66, 16. Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Now, if we were actually, if you were actually witnessing, of course, the Holy Spirit would have filled you even more and given you things to say. And stuff. But it is something that you can you know, practice. And if you have a 30-second version of your testament, you'll be amazed at how God can use that because that can be slipped in at a restaurant while you're in the, well, back when people used to wait in grocery stores for food. And, of course, now we wait in the house. And I saw a cluster of organic grapes for $25. Hello. It's a good thing we're depending on the Lord, right? So anytime you can use that 30-second testimony, do it. Do it. Now, 
The easiest way to do this is for you to start sharing your testimony. God will teach you that you should do this if you don't start sharing. And I will never forget, it was back in high school, I was 18, freshly saved, talking with one person at where I had gone to high school, and um, kind of in a discussion slash argument, and, uh, and I saw another guy across the room, and I thought, man, I need to talk to him, tell him about Jesus and the difference he's made in my life, and, and I turned around to finish up, and then when I turned back, he was gone. I thought, man, I'm going to have to find him and talk to him. And, uh, and then a couple of weeks later, the young boy, 18, was killed in a car wreck. And I will never forget his name, Mark Snyder. That's not the end of the story. I rarely tell this story. We were in an old building. I told the story and I mentioned his name. And it was back when, you know, I would greet people coming in and out of the door before a service. I think we did that with two services and dropped it when we had three. But uh, I was shaking hands and the girl I went to school with came by. Hey, good to see you. Yeah, and Joanna says, she said, I'm, I don't know if you remember or not, but I'm Mark's sister. The next few seconds seemed like an eternity as I waited to hear if she said, wish you would have told him we still don't know. But after the Lord teaching me that, listen how good and gracious and loving and kind God is. After God made sure I had that just burned into me. She said, I want you to know Mark did die a couple weeks after you saw him. But the Sunday before he died, he went down front at our church. And gave his life to Jesus. And I thought you might like to know that. God, you're so good. He is so good. Hmm. Verse 17. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So with 20 verses, this is is one of the, the longer ones. Praise the Lord. Let's, uh, 
Let's go back through here. It says, make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Say love, and that's good. That would be a good few verses just to say when you start your day, right? Start your day with praising God and worshiping Him and, and you know, saying things like the God of heaven and earth who created heaven and earth. Kind of in worshiping Him and then you're in the throne room inquiring for Him to bring somebody to salvation and Awesome, awesome. Verse 5, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men. Raul Reese is a pastor out in California that I, I don't know. He was uh, used to be in the martial arts and had a dojo. That's a place where martial artists you know, train other people. And, um, ended up to be a, a pastor, uh, and he was he was before he got saved, fairly you know rough character, and uh, and God just immensely blessed him. They they ended up uh, buying a building and. Some things happened, and uh, ended up he had to go to the staff at that time, which was large. And he said, uh, "We're not going to be able to pay you your salary at all, and I don't know when we'll be able to start paying you again." The staff about forty people, forty or fifty people, and he said, "I don't know if you know if you." have uh, savings you can live off of or anything, but that's where we are. And we're going to keep doing what we do and keep preaching and teaching and worshiping God. Some people got upset. Some other pastors called him and said, ah, he lost his worship leader that he'd had a long time. About a year later, a real estate company called and offered the church uh, twice what they'd paid for half of it. In other words, they bought half of the land and paid the whole price of the land and the building that the church was on. So they got uh, cash from it and the building was paid off. And then, of course, obviously people started getting paid again. And... uh, Raul just uh, just believed it was the Lord to do that, and, uh, and it's was, it was amazing to watch God come. And so you see, come and see the works of God. He's awesome in His doing. Lord, just sons of men, He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in Him. Now, of course, that you can think of a couple of things. Of course, the Red Sea. Watched that the other day um, from some movie of the with Moses and 
amazing. And one thing that I just love about that is that the Hebrews were running, going across the desert, praying, following the Lord. And then they stop. And they see the whole Egyptian army coming because of the dust and the gold and the sunshine coming toward them. Looks over here, there's mountains over here. Looks over here, there's mountains over here. Back here is the Red Sea. Who put them in that position? God did. They were following God. And God, looking at it from that moment, you might think, God led them straight into a trap. Never forget when we built a backyard fence. The kids weren't sure what we were doing. And then when we finished, one of them, one of them looked at all the, the split rail covered with chicken wire and looked around and said, you built a cage. <laughs> well, yeah, going to keep you all in. That's So Moses takes his staff, holds it up. It's a stand still and see salvation, right? That's in English. He says, stand still and see Yahshua. Yahshua. That's the Hebrew word for salvation. Stand still and see Yahshua. You know, as we look at these things, we talk about sharing our testimony. We do that not because we want to earn souls so we can pay God back. No, it's because we love him. We love him. And God put them in that position. What, because Moses sinned? No, they attacked him harshly. You brought us out here to die, my goodness. What'd you do, Moses? We all thought you were going to lead us to the promised land. We could have died back there. Moses raises his staff. That had to be so awesome to see. So awesome. And like was before, you know, some people, I heard some liberal theologians say, well, there's no, it wasn't really a miracle because, you know, the Red Sea at that part is only a few inches deep. And so, you know, a, a good wind of 10 or 15 miles an hour could just blow it apart. I mean, it's not like it needs a miracle for them to walk through on dry land. Yeah, well. Maybe it doesn't take a miracle for them to walk through on dry land if it's a couple inches deep. I guess the miracle is, how did the whole Egyptian army drown in two inches of water? There's a miracle in there somewhere. Amen? He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice. It says river. doesn't say sea, does it? But sea would have been Red Sea. He turned the sea in the dry land. He turned the river. So maybe it's speaking about both. He turned the sea in the dry land. They went through the river on foot. Now if it's the river, where's he talking about? The Jordan River. 
when they came through, they set 12 stones down for the 12 tribes. Later, it was at that place Jesus was getting baptized, we believe, and he pointed to the son, he, uh, as John the Baptist and Jesus were there, and Jesus said, God is able to raise up from these stones sons. It was these stones. See, because when Joshua went through, the Jordan River parted. And we don't, Try to, um, try to listen real close for a second because I'm about to hit you with the hose. So just give you a whole lot of... There's a, there's a parallel book to Revelation in the Old Testament. It's the book of Joshua. Yehoshua. Think about it. In Joshua, they're taking over the lands where the pagans are. What's happening in Revelation? Same thing, taking over the lands where the pagans are. Look how many times seven is used in Revelation, over 50 times. Guess where it's also used? The book of Joshua. Remember, seven times the wall, and then seven blows on the trumpet in Jericho. And here's something that's very, very interesting. Written over 2,500 years ago, after Jericho, the next battle they have in the book of Joshua is with Ai. There was a town called Ai before there was Ai. Ai is artificial intelligence. And while they won at Jericho, they went up to Ai and they lost in the first battle because one of them had stuck Babylonian clothes probably something bad, weird. It contaminated him and his whole family. They all had to die. Put uh, the clothing and gold and silver in his tent. And that's why they lost the battle. They took the guy, they got that out, and they, Joshua had his family stand in the valley, and they, they stoned him. And then they won against Ai. It's just, it, it, it's amazing to think, over 2,500 years ago, Ai was a town, and now it's such a big thing in, uh, not just in computers, but in military and stuff with the, the drones and whatnot. Mm. There will we rejoice in him. Verse 7, he rules by his power forever. These are just good verses to read, aren't they? Especially in today's headlines. God rules by his power forever. He is still on the throne. He didn't get off his throne and then the Ukraine break out. He is still on the throne. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves.
There's a typo in the life lesson there. I'll have to fix that and then post that later again. We'll, we'll go ahead and post it. There's a typo and we'll... It says division, rebellion cause us to not to enter into the worship of the Lord should be. Division, rebellion calls us to not enter into the worship of the Lord. The flesh cost us our worship of God. You think about the Red Sea. You think about when they got past that and Moses and Joshua went up to get the commandments and they had a party down there. And Moses says, I hear the sound of a party. Joshua says, it's the sound of war. And he goes down. Moses throws the commandments and goes back up and gets a, another set. Incidentally, when that happened, putting some things together, Moses said, hey, if you're on the Lord's side, come over here. And if you're not, go over there. And all of the tribe of Levites came over. It was the only tribe where all of them were on the Lord's side. And what God did was instead of the firstborn going to the temple and serving, from that point on, it was the Levites who served in the temple. Go back and read his interesting stuff. Verse 8. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. It's so easy to just kind of read past that and go to the next verse. It was an older commentary that caused me to stop and take a third or fourth look at this. The older commentary said, in Israel, when they are brought home back to the land, the land of Israel will once again hear the praises of God. Because the commentary had been written before 1948 when Israel went back. So they said, one day Israel will go back and the land will hear the praises of God. We're in the Psalms. Okay, just using round numbers, say 500 B.C., There was no praises of God for about 500 years until the Maccabees threw off the the Greeks for a season. But then the Romans came in. And of course the Romans had the burning and the siege of Jerusalem, 70 and other cities as well. That was pretty much it except for the Bar Kokhba rebellion in 135 A.D. Incidentally, in 70 AD, when the Roman siege happened, the Christian Jews and the non-Christian Jews, those who believe in Yeshua and those who didn't, they were all fighting together. And then when the Roman siege happened, the Christian Jews said, 
hey, Jesus, didn't Jesus say something about when they surround the city, we're supposed to flee? And they said, yeah. And they said, we're out of here. And they tried to say, hey, you need to stand and fight. And they said, no, our Messiah said, when this happens, leave. And they literally killed everybody, men, women, and children. About, well, in 135 A.D., Bar rebellion started. There was a guy, Bar who led the rebellion. And everybody, Christian Jews and non-Christian Jews, were all fighting together. And then Bar announced, I'm the Messiah. And the Christians said, no, you're not. We met him, and he's not you. And so they couldn't fight with the Bar Kokhba rebellion anymore for the second time. Christians said, we're not fighting with you. That's where the Israel thought that Christians don't have any sense of Zionism or nationalism towards Israel came from. You can go to Israel from any faith except Christian. Except Christian. When we went over there, we always did stuff. We brought uh, clothes over to them and gave them away. We asked how we could help, and we helped out in a lot of different ways, including helping build a bomb shelter. Because the closest one was five minutes away. And at that time, this was like 15, 20 years ago, there were Holocaust survivors in the building. Homeless people, and they couldn't get to a bomb shelter five minutes away. So we helped build a bomb shelter, this church, in Jerusalem. It was pretty quiet there, but we worshiped the Lord. We worshiped the Lord. Praise God. So since 1948, May 1948, Israel became a nation again. In June of 1967, they got all of Jerusalem. And so now, in the land, the voice of his praise is heard. Isn't that awesome? There's over a hundred Messianic congregations in Israel today. More than there's ever been. Matter of fact, years ago, we went through what's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. And Pastor Jim and his family were there. And, uh, and, and the tunnel gets really tight in places, you know. And I was concerned, you know. And, uh, but I, I thought he could, he could do it. And... Uh, and then Merritt, who's not much smaller than Jim, you know, was there too. And uh, I never forget our tour guide, uh, Ido. I never forget his face when we all lined up. And he, <laughs> if you looked at Jim, David Cooper, <laughs> the big one, is he gone? <laughs> I said, yes, he's, he's gone. I don't know if he'll fit. I said, he'll be all right. So we go in there, we're worshiping, we're singing praises. This is in Jerusalem. And it's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. The water's this deep. And in places, the tunnel's like this tall. And it's completely dark. 
But what are we doing? We're worshiping the Lord. As Jim and Merritt and Carolyn and Scott and others of us joined in, but man, the worship. And then occasionally you would hear one of them hit their head. I'm okay. Start singing again. Wonderful, wonderful memories. Here's the next life lesson. In 70 AD, when worship was silenced again, it was silenced until May 14th, 1948, or June 1967. Think about that and give God some fresh praise. In 70 AD, when worship was silenced again, it was silenced until May 14th, 1948, or June 1967. Think about that and give God some fresh praise. In his word, he said, they will come back into the land, and the land will hear the praise. There were naysayers that said, Israel's never go back in the land. They have, and they did. It's amazing. Verse 9, who keeps our soul among the living. Now, I want you to notice this. Who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to slip or to be moved. Now, let's, let's be careful and watch how this, this works. Who keeps our soul among the living, but who, that pronoun, is also does not allow our feet to be moved. So God, who keeps our soul among the living, also keeps our feet from moving. For you, verse 10, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You've brought us into the net. You've laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out. Rich fulfillment or abundance. Mm-hmm. You brought us out. Keeps our soul among the living. Does not allow our feet to be moved. He's tested us. Now, let's be clear. When God tests us, it's not for Him, He knows everything. He knows how we're going to respond to the test you're in now. How are you going to respond to the next one and the next one? So the test isn't for him. Who's it for? It's for us. So we can go through a trial and then look back and go, God, you kept me the whole time. Or look back and go, wow, I developed to be quite the whiner through that trial. (laughs) And he delivers you. And you give him all the praise and the glory. Mm. And he literally keeps our soul among the living, but he also cleanses our soul for for eternity. For eternity. Jude chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You ought to write that one down. That's Jude. It only has one chapter. 
verse 24. Now here it is in the New Living Translation. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Man, that's amazing. So if God is able to keep us from stumbling, keeping us from falling, why do we fall? Why do we stumble? Short version, we grab the reins. We grab the steering wheel. We think we should be doing, we should be making the decisions in our life. We take the lordship back from God. And we wind up in a ditch. And we wind up in a ditch. We go, God, what, I thought you were driving. God says, you grabbed the wheel. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident that the very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then the next chapter in Philippians, verse 2, 13, it says, For it is God who works in you. Now listen to this. Both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You understand what that's saying? When you want to do something good, now you can get a warm fuzzy and I could say, well, that's because you're being a good Christian. And, and that is, that's the truth. Come in here tonight. You took the time or, or listening from somewhere else. You take the time, sit down and listen. God's going to bless that. He's going to reward that. And it's God who works in you. So to will, God put in you the desire to come to church tonight. God is at work in your life. God put in you a desire to listen online tonight. He put that in both to will and then he gave you the strength to do it. To open up the windows. To, maybe you had forgotten and also the reminder, oh yeah, 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 let's, let's pull up the bridge. That was the Lord. Isn't that awesome? That lets you know that God is at work in your life. We've been talking about John 9, where the blind man is sitting. And they come by and the disciples say, well, who, why is he born blind? Did he sin or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. It's so the glory of God could be revealed. It's a lot like the healing in the book of Acts at the Temple Beautiful. That's interesting. Peter and John walked through and the guy said, silver and gold. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. The guy walked. He was at the temple at the gate beautiful. He'd been there for years. Jesus had walked past that man. It said he'd been there for years at the temple. Jesus went to the temple for years and that man was still laying there lame. Why? Did Jesus not care about him? Jesus not love him? No. Jesus knew there was going to be a glorious day when Peter and John were going to heal him. 
And so he waited. He waited. It's an interesting little thing, you see. And then in John 9, wow, that's such a beautiful chapter because they're bearing down on the guy. You got to tell us, kick him out first. He gets saved. First thing they do is kick him out of the fellowship when he gets saved. And they said, what are you trying to teach us? He says, you know what? This I know, I was blind, and now I see. I was blind, and now I see. Spawned one of the greatest hymns of all time. John Newton, who was not only a slave trader, but had been a slave himself as a white male, but he had a bunch of debts and he ended up being sold into slavery. And then he was a, helped with a slave ship. He was the captain of a slave ship and then he found Jesus and wrote Amazing Grace. John 9 verse 30 through 33, the man answered and said to them, why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he, speaking about Jesus, is from. Yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. amazing that the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day are literally arguing that Jesus is not from God. He not only was, he not only was of God, he was God and is God. James tells us about prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. James 4, 3. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Now, talking about this spiritual walk, you're hearing the voice of the Lord. Understand, we're in a battle, every one of us, in a spiritual battle. And every one of us can have that moment where we, you know, don't say this, something or say something or say it wrong or say it with the wrong tone or some days I wish you could just make text deep, not function, but anyway, there's so many misunderstandings that happen through text. James 4, 7, and 8 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil will flee from you. If you're getting hit with tests and temptations, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Maybe you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute now. Getting all nasty, Pastor. Calling us double-minded. Now, wait a minute. 
Yaakov, it, that book of James is really, it, written to Jacob in the original, Yaakov. And to the 12 tribes, it says that. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts. You double-minded. The very next verse, James 4.10, is humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. That's praise the Lord. So you can argue and say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good as a Christian. I don't need to freshly submit myself to God. I'm, I'm not double-minded at all. Wow. If you say that tonight, well, you're denying the battle and the struggle with the flesh. Which Paul himself said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing them. And he says, but it's not me. Because I don't want to do it. It's the sin in me. There's this battle going on. And so there is a battle in each of us. And there is, we are to some extent, Double-minded, if you will. Now, if you're following God and on fire, you're 99% on fire for the Lord. But there's 1% of that flesh that will trip you up. That's why the Word says, put no confidence in your flesh. He says that to believers. Put no confidence in your flesh. Don't put yourself in a position where you could stumble. James 4, 7, and 8 really gives a great way to to close the service here. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, admit your sin, purify your hearts. Ask God to purify your hearts once again. And God is the answer to the battle that we're in. The double-mindedness of being in this world, but not of it. And don't argue that, because I mean, the next verse is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And if you do that, He will lift you up. I've loved the uh, Isaiah studies. and uh, Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. If you don't have that one, jot it down. Jot it down, so go Isaiah 43 says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I've purchased you, I've redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you.
So that sounds just like those, the, the verses in the psalm tonight. And verse 10 talks about, it, it says silver. Whenever there's silver, it's about redemption. If you look back at the temple, the tabernacle, silver is always about redemption. Gold is always about purity. And both of those are made pure by what? By heat. What's heat signify? Trials, tribulations, temptations. I mean, in every struggle you go through, refines you and makes you a little more filled with him. Less of you, more of him. It brings the heat up. You scrape the gold off. Heat, stoke the fire, more stuff comes up, scrape it off. The refiner knows he's done when he looks down and instead of seeing the impurities, he sees his reflection. That's what God is doing in our life. Scraping the dross out. We have trials, we blow it, stuff comes out, he scrapes it off. And one day, as we follow him, he'll see his reflection. I want to encourage you. We're getting ready to have communion, and if guys will bring that up. And if you're at home, please go get some grape juice, and some, if you have crackers or matzah or bread, we'll all do. If you don't have grape juice, you can you know, substitute something else. These are symbols. These are symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. And again, we have to think about Verse 12, you caused none to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to abundance. And then you have Isaiah 43. What an awesome verses, 1 and 2. And in John 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The enemy came to rip you off. He's trying to rip you off now. And it was the church has gone through the pandemic and different things. People have gone through that. Things have changed some. And also as time has gone on, some of us have gotten older. And maybe some that, you know, once served in Sparkle just kind of find that a little a little much. And that's to help clean in the church, by the way. And I would encourage everybody here to be in Sparkle. If you're not yet, we would love to have you and I'll work with you on the schedule. Because we believe every person should be in ministry. Every Christian. The priesthood of believers. And that's something that came out of the Reformation. Also, sola scriptura, in that it's not man 
over a Bible telling everybody what to do. It's the Bible over man. And the Bible tells everybody. And the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So when you see those things, you can know it's the enemy at work. In the New Living Translation, it says the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he wants to do. Not only to you, but to your loved ones who aren't saved. The enemy doesn't want them to find out. The enemy doesn't want them going to heaven. And you do. That puts you at odds with him. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And as things have changed, as ministry have changed, our ministry needs have changed as well. And whether you're here or watching online, we need more help to reach people. We need more help to reach people online and to reach the lost. So if you're listening from there or you're here, uh, send an email if you'll step forward and help us reach the lost. I believe every believer should. Just send uh, your name and what gifts you have to info at youareloved.org. Just info at youareloved.org. You can say, hey, I'm Joe. I work on websites or Facebook pages or whatever. Or I'm Linda. I work on email distribution or, you know, or, you know, I'm Bill and I love the Lord and would love to talk to people that want to pray. All those things we need now. More than we used to. Because we're reaching more and more people online. And where there's a, you can only fit so many people in a building. You fit a lot in a big building. But online, you can reach a lot of people. And that's why it's a battlefield. That's why it's a battlefield. As we travel in the ministry, and now we're over 20 years, we need to make sure that our number one priority is making sure we keep going. No. No, it's not. Number one priority is lost people. And tell them about Jesus. That's the number one thing. Because if you say, well, number one thing is for us to keep going so we can tell people about Jesus. Well, what happens when some of us might not be here for whatever reason? So, to keep going and to join together to reach the lost. It takes a lot to do things. I come up with a lot of big ideas. Yeah, it, you know, it used to be early in ministry, I come up with a big idea. I was like, yes, let's do this. Let's reach the lost. As we get older and playing it safe, it's like, hey, let's do this to reach the lost. Man, let's think about this. What do you expect me to do? What am I going to have to do to keep somebody from going to hell? Now think about that. Each of us can 
give half hour a week, some maybe 15 minutes a day, five or six days a week. Maybe you're retired and you can give a couple hours five days a week. Man, that would be glorious. Because the more people help, the more we can do. The more people we can reach. The more people will not go to hell. Because this is a battle for the souls of men and women and children. The eternal destinies of where they go. Here's next to the last life lesson. God will allow stress to come to you so that you might have a test that is due to you so God can give all his best for you and others might be blessed by you and might see God growing in you. Let me say it again. God will allow stress to come to you so that you might have a test that is due to you so God can give all his best for you and others might be blessed by you and might see God growing in you. Look at the last two verses here. And let me share once again, when I, when I got saved, when I asked God to forgive me, at 17, I had... I'd been in and out of jails and juvie halls and all sorts of stuff. I had seen the underside of life by choice. And slept under bridges. And, and I really thought, when I asked God that night to forgive me, I thought he'd just say, sorry. It's for some people, but you've just gone too far for too long. But that's not what he said. I asked God if he would forgive me, and he did. And my life changed. Now, were the, all the emotional scars and stuff of the trauma growing up, were they all gone? No. No. But he gave me the power to get through the day with him. And one day, those scars will be gone. And he changed me so much so that usually when I share my testimony with people that don't know, there's a a shock and a surprise because I, I seem soft and carry bugs outside and such that's the Lord that is the Lord in my flesh I phew. but look what God does verse 19 certainly God has heard me he has attended to the voice of my prayer you can pray tonight ask God to forgive you he'll listen and he will forgive you there's coming a day when the door is closed. Verse 20, blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. Found a life lesson. God has answered my prayer and given me his loving kindness in Jesus in fellowship with others and in life. God has answered my prayer and given me, each of us, his loving kindness in Jesus 
in fellowship with others and why. And what that's saying, he's answered our prayer. He's given us loving kindness in himself and in fellowship with others. Like what Danny, me and Danny love each other, don't we? And in life. You don't have to walk through life by yourself because you have God. And there's a special bond with the friends that you do have from God. And then when you mess up, not if you mess up, you can ask him to forgive you and he will. And so tonight as we approach the communion table, you should ask for fresh forgiveness. The Bible even goes one step further, doesn't it? It says, if you've got ought, if your brother has ought with you, not, not saying you're mad at somebody, but if, you, if somebody else is mad at you, go to them before you approach the altar. So let's make a, take a moment. And if you're not forgiven, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, I would encourage you not to take communion or to pray now and ask God to forgive you. And then you can approach the communion table. But let's pray. Lord, thank you that tonight, tonight we can be forgiven afresh by asking. Wherever we are, Lord, we can ask for your forgiveness. We can be honest. We can be humble and say, God, I messed up in this way and that way. All of us have messed up in relationships, whether maybe the other person is 98% wrong and you're the 2% wrong. Humble yourself. Apologize for the 2%. Jesus bled that so that we could be forgiven. And he gives us these to remember him. The Lord knows we need reminding. He knows we forget often. But instead of fussing at us, He gives us reminders. He gives us the grapes, the spilt blood to be thankful for. His broken body because by his stripes we are healed. We can have physical healing tonight. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that all this is waiting for us to come to you and to ask for fresh forgiveness. And Lord, with that fresh forgiveness, we also ask for a fresh fire to reach unbelievers, to reach those that don't know. Because Lord, we do not know how long we have to reach people. So from this night on, May we be more on fire than ever, loving you and loving others. Thank you, Lord. 
to the communion table as we worship and take the cups and please hold what you have until everybody has one and we'll partake together Your face is all I seek. It's all we each seek right now. Lord, we're not wanting the approval of man. We're coming to you because we can come directly to you. Lord, thank you. We don't have to go through another high priest or different priest. You are our high priest, Jesus. Thank you for being seated at the right hand of the Father. Make an intercession for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he 
took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Broken. For, for you. Think about Jesus. Think about life. Think about others. That cannot take communion. And let's agree afresh to reach them. Lord, thank you for the reminders that you've given us this as a reminder of your broken body. But Lord, there's people out there that aren't saved, that aren't born again, that don't know. Use us to tell them. Bind us together in love. Rebuke the enemy off of us and out of here. Through division and confusion and misplaced priorities, Lord, we want to win the lost. That's what we ask for. That's what we ask for. Our inheritance is the lost. And we thank you that we can tell them about a good God, a loving God that died for them so they could be forgiven. And Lord, thank you that somebody cared enough to share the gospel with us so that tonight we can have communion. Help us to share it with somebody else so they can have communion too. Empower us afresh with your Holy Spirit and Hashem Yeshua. Let's think about Jesus. Let's partake. After the dinner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you. This blood is for you. Each sin can be forgiven because of the blood that Jesus shed. And there's no other way to be righteous. There's no other way to be forgiven but through the blood he shed. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that there is a way And you are that way. You are the way, the truth, the life. Lord, thank you that we can get to the Father through you. And we have. And Lord, use us to reach others who don't yet know. Hallelujah. Let's think about Jesus. Let's protect. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. 
May his face shine upon you. May he wrap you in his arms. And may you know his shalom, his peace, his provision, his healing, his salvation, his strength to cause you to stand, his burden so that you'll share with others who are broken. May we seek those who are lost. And Lord, thank you that we have your shalom. And I'll show me, I'll show the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen.